This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our God is great and greatly to be praised, and we give him glory today for being who he is. Hallelujah. Good morning, beloved pastor, my friend and brother, Reverend Jeffrey Johnson, First Lady Sharon Johnson, all the precious ministers, officers, and members and friends of the Eastern Star Church of Indianapolis. What a joy it is for me to be here with you during your 100th church anniversary. Happy anniversary. I have heard about you as a church for years. I am so grateful to be here virtually with you. Your pastor is my good friend and brother, as I said earlier, and a phenomenal preacher, a tremendous pastor, a respected individual all across this nation. And in my estimation, he's a prince of a man. He's been to the Ray of Hope Christian Church to preach for us and bless us. And like I said, I am excited to be able to return the favor. I have been loving you from afar, Eastern Star for years because of the way that you represent our God and King and indeed represent the universal church. Well, let's go to the word, shall we? Acts the second chapter, verses 37 through 47. It's a familiar passage of scripture. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them to save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to everyone as he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. If you'll pray with me for just a few moments, I'd like to talk to you about a perfect church, a perfect church. God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be found acceptable in thy sight because you alone are our strength and our redeemer. We are grateful for this time, O oh God, to hear from you. I pray, O oh God, that in the next few moments I would decrease and you would increase. And so the people will hear and see none of me, but all of you. And we will be so careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know what every pastor, church leader, and member dreams of having or belonging to? 
a perfect church. Everybody wants to be a member of a perfect church. I know that some of you would say that it is impossible to have a perfect church because churches by their very nature are made up of imperfect persons. Therefore, a perfect church is a contradiction in terms. It would take a miracle for any church to be perfect. But I believe in miracles, don't you? Miracles happen every day. Our text this morning is the description of a miracle or a series of miracles that happened on Pentecost. While 120 men and women were in the upper room praying, waiting on the gift the Father had promised, praying in preparation for it, a miracle occurred. The Holy Spirit fell like tongues of fire on each of them, filling them and causing them to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was a miracle in that there were men and women from countries all over the known world who heard the witness of these Aramaic-speaking Galileans in their own native tongues. A miracle took place in that curiosity got the best of these folks, and they inquired about what was going on, giving Peter the opportunity to tell them about salvation in the name of Jesus. And when they, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, asked what they should do, Peter told them, as recorded in Acts 2.38, to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Another miracle took place when 3,000 plus persons took Peter at his word, repented of their sins, were baptized, and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Talk about miracles. 3,000 men plus women and children gave their lives to Jesus Christ in one day. But perhaps the greatest miracle that occurred on Pentecost was the establishment of the first church. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit brought together 3,120 plus men and women of different ages, races, cultures, classes, personalities, opinions, temperaments, moods, and attitudes, creating the church. Did you hear me? I said 3,120 imperfect persons came together to be the church. It was the Spirit that made all of this possible. Nobody but the Spirit of God could have pulled this off, given what we know about human nature and personalities. The Spirit is responsible for what we call miracles. You do understand what a miracle is, don't you? A miracle is the intervention of supernatural power in keeping with a higher spiritual law, which supersedes the law of human nature. Yes, Pentecost in itself is a miracle. It was and is a miracle when a personality is transformed and a person is able to think and act beyond the limitations of his or her own capabilities. It was a miracle when those Galileans spoke the languages that were known to others and unknown to them. The miracle of a changed life results when supernatural gifts of intellect, emotions, personality, and convictions that all things are possible are received. That's the miracle of Pentecost, 120 frightened, impotent, self-centered, willful, and yet discouraged men and women were transformed into new creatures. The Holy Spirit invaded their human spirits, cleaned up their hearts, renewed their minds, released their wills, energized and re-energized their emotions, producing in them potential and ability beyond their human possibilities. 
infusing them with supernatural power. As soon as they were set free in the spirit, they witnessed to 3,000 men plus whatever women and, men, women and children were there. And they too were transformed by the spirit and together they became the church. When I look at this passage that describes their life together as a church, I know that the spirit working in and through individuals can create a perfect church. It may seem impossible to you and I, but anything and everything is possible with God. The spirit of God specializes in what we think is impossible. What seems impossible to you and I, what appears to be a miracle to us, is simply God being God. God doing what God does. And when you have faith in him, anything and everything is possible for you. What the Spirit did through those men and women in that first church, he has done and wants to continually do in your church. All he needs for you to do is just cooperate with him. The church that the Spirit created on Pentecost was a perfect church. Perfect in the sense that it was complete as a church. It had all the essentials of the kind of church that not only pleases God, but pleases the pastor and the people. If you want to continually belong to a perfect church, a complete church, a church that pleases God, then you have some decisions to make. When I look at the description of this church in the second chapter of Acts, the thing that is made clear to me is that the persons who were active in the life of this church made some choices. They each had to choose to adopt the characteristics of a perfect or complete church. Because perfecting a church is not automatic. It's an ongoing process. Perfecting a church is not simply the work of a skilled and anointed pastor like Pastor Johnson, an efficient and effective staff, a gifted and caring leadership, though all of these are certainly important parts of the equation. John Maxwell says a church cannot go any higher than its leadership. And given the stellar history, the incredible ministry that you have been blessed to have under Pastor Johnson, it would seem that you could just kick back and rest on your laurels. But what you need to know is just when you think you have arrived, God raises the bar. He wants us to know that there is more. There's always more in Christ. Didn't he say, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly? And you cannot be satisfied with what you've already achieved. Because there is so much more that God has destined you for and desires. What is evident from this text is that there has to be complete buy-in from the entire membership. All the members must be fully involved and committed to the process of continually building the church. Christ laid the foundation and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, you are the builders of a perfect church. The first thing we notice about this church is that everyone was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. My grandmama used to say the Holy Ghost. 
everyone confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and they were filled with the Spirit. They were not simply members of the church. They did not just join the church. They first repented of their sins and made a confession of their faith in Christ, having yielded to Christ as Lord. They were filled. Hallelujah. This is important. What I've come to understand is that you can be saved but not surrendered. You can be baptized by the Spirit but not filled. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what's called the baptism of the Spirit. The Spirit comes to live in you, giving you power and peace, among other wonderful things that you need to live victoriously as Christians. To be baptized in the Spirit is to possess the Spirit, but to be filled is to have the Spirit possess you. There is a difference. There are a lot of folks in churches that are saved but not surrendered. When we are not surrendered, we are in charge of our lives. We are calling the shots. We want to be in control. Therefore, we are not open to allowing ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God to do what God wants to do in us and in our church. All of us have certain ideas about what the church ought to be. We sometimes get stuck in our comfortable ideas of what the church is supposed to be. And so we think that if we surrender to the Spirit, we will have to change some of our ideas. Well, you're right. Though through this pandemic, things are changing. And we're not sure what the church will be like on the other side. But if we just trust God and follow God's lead, God will give you perfect clarity and direction. He just needs you to follow him. To be filled with the Spirit means that you are emptied of yourself and yielded to the Spirit's control. When you're filled with the Spirit, you are led by the Spirit. You live life with the Spirit's power and passion. You live with a sense of purpose and destiny. You live with excitement and joy. You get up in the morning wondering what God is going to do next in your life and in your church. To be filled with the Spirit is to be passionate about the things of Christ. God tells us through Paul in Ephesians 5, 18, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, this verb is an imperative. It's a command, not a suggestion. God commands us to be filled with the Spirit, to welcome the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. The verb tense of the word filled is the present perfect tense, which means continuous, ongoing action. We ought to be filled with the Spirit on a regular day basis because everybody knows knows that as Christians, well, really as people, we leak. We get mad at folks who say the wrong things to us and we leak. Or we decide that we are not going to trust God that particular day. We don't do that intentionally, not most of us, but we do it and we leak. In order for us to be filled, we have to be filled on an ongoing basis. And when you are filled with the Spirit, the following characteristics of the church come easy because you are open and available to God. You see, the Pentecostal church was so powerful and so successful, not because it was filled with powerful and successful people. No, these folks were ordinary people who were empowered to do extraordinary things because they were filled with the precious Holy Ghost. After the people were saved and became members of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
They were devoted. Say devoted. The word devote means steadfast and single-minded faithfulness or fidelity to a certain course of action. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They had an objective guide for their subjective experience. The apostles' teaching was the word of God. These people were devoted to hearing and obeying the word of God. No one had to beg them to attend church or Bible study. The pastor did not have to constantly try to come up with attractive and interesting subjects to lure them into studying the word. While I recognize the need to keep the preaching and teaching of the word fresh, I also know that when you love the Lord, you will love his word because as the psalmist says in 1910 the word is sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb you can't get enough of it when you love the word and are filled with the spirit every time you read or hear the word you will get fresh and exciting revelation God will reveal something to you that you've never seen or heard before and it will resonate with your spirit in uh, the spirit of God in you creating an insatiable desire for more. These people love the word. They came to church like you and I are showing up online, ready to hear the word, anticipating an on-time word, a right-now word from the Lord every time. If you expect God to speak to you when you sit before him, God will. <laughs> Even when you're not in church huh, or online, you have the blessing of the written word, the Bible that you can read and study, meditate on, memorize, apply to your daily living. The word of God is not just a source of inspiration. It's the primary guide by which we live our lives, make decisions, face challenges, and make the right choices every day. The word of God is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. You can depend on it. You can build your life on it. You can stand anything when it is in in you every day to many of us unfortunately are under the word but we are not in the word and we have no word in us that's why we're weak have no strength not satisfied with life the word <clears throat> has power to lighten our darkness in our hearts. It will bring the light of God, the assurance of God's love, the knowledge of God's will, the fullness of God's grace. The word will fill you with strength and courage to conquer every enemy and do whatever God asks you to do. The word will cleanse, sanctify, develop faith and obedience in you. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word will develop faith faith in you in such a way that the very thing it speaks of will become real in your life. Nothing can resist its power when it's received into the heart through the Holy Spirit. The word builds character. For you see, it's like a seed when planted in our hearts will sprout and grow slowly, hidden and unobserved. It is the power of God at work, developing, building in us all that we need for life and living. Andrew Murray says the word will become in us the seed of every character trait of our Lord. It is the wise man, woman, boy, or girl who builds his or her life by hearing the word of God and putting it into practice. James tells us, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
What I've come to realize through the years as a pastor is that listening to the word of God isn't difficult for most of us. It's our joy. Most of us love good preaching and teaching. Our minds delight in having the truth clearly presented. Our imaginations are gratified by its illustration. Our emotions are stirred by its application. To the active mind, knowledge gives pleasure, but we have mistaken the pleasure we have in hearing for spirituality and worship. We are content to listen like the folks God talked about through the prophet Ezekiel. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, <laughs> but they do not put them into practice. Listening to, hearing the words of God is only the beginning. We must listen to God's word with the objective of applying it to our lives and living it every day. The word only has power when it is obeyed. It has to be applied. It's like receiving medication from a doctor. The medication has no effect unless you take it. The word of God has no effect unless you read it and study it and meditate upon it and then have it written on your heart. As a man or woman thinks in his or her heart, so is he or she. They devoted themselves to the word and to the fellowship. The word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. Koinonia, when defined, speaks of participation, participation, communion, having everything in common. These folks were devoted to the fellowship. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he or she had need. Acts 4.32 says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Real fellowship in the church is not possible without Christ's spirit living in and through us. It's Christ and his spirit that we have in common. Think about it. Many of you came to this church initially and you didn't know anybody. You were strangers and strange to one another until the spirit of God collect, connected you. It's the spirit that causes us to overcome our strangeness and take the risk to get to know one another. It's the spirit that allows us to put aside our differences and see the need of one another. We need one another for love and support, for affirmation and acceptance. We need one another more than ever during this strange time of isolation and loneliness when we cannot touch, cannot hug, cannot get closer than six feet. We need one another to survive and we dare not lose this intimate connection that the Spirit has given us. We need one another for hope and for help. Every day you need to reach out to a brother and sister in Christ. Tell them how much you love them. Resolve whatever differences you might have with them. Forgive them and let it go. Did you hear me? I said, let it go. Pray with and for one another. Reach out to them in whatever ways you can. Be creative and touch somebody today. Let them know that you care. We need one another to grow and mature into all that God has intended us to be. The folks in this church were devoted to the fellowship and to the caring for one another's needs. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together 
and had everything in common. Notice that it says all, not some, but all, all the believers, all the believers, all the believers were involved in the fellowship. All of them participated, not partially, but fully, not reservedly, but generously. They gave everything they had. They had gifts. Each of you is gifted beyond measure. And you have gifts for giving to the body of Christ to build it up so that you might become all that God has destined you to be. And so these folks use their gifts for the common good. They were involved in the ministry of the church. Each had a role to play. There were no pew potatoes, no uninvolved saints, no slackers. They're all engaged in the ministry. These folks had learned the joy of giving. First, giving of themselves, then giving of their money. I know I don't have to say this to you, Eastern Star, because you are a giving church, but there are some churches who don't believe that anybody should ask them to give of their resources. They come to church to get something, not to give anything. In the words of the world's philosophy, you get out of something what you put into it. If you don't put anything into your marriage, you probably won't get anything out. If you don't put something into your education, you won't get anything out of it. If you want love, you have to give love. If you want a friend, you have to be a friend. If you want a blessing, you need to be a blessing. Jesus says in Luke 6:38, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You know this scripture shall be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you the word give is a personal word it is inclusive of everybody and everything in the greek the word give is plural implying that when jesus gave this command he gave it to everyone without exception this word is unconditional there are no ifs before or after this command there are no contingencies no loopholes no excluding clauses no one can say i have nothing to give each of us has been blessed by god and others in some measure jesus said freely you have received freely give Everyone must give. No gift is too great or is too small. Give as the Lord has blessed you. To whom much is given, much is expected. It's a joy to give back to God. But let me say one other thing. Even though the promises of God are sure, we don't give to get. The men and women in this church knew the promises of God, but it wasn't to receive that they gave so generously. It was because they loved God and they loved one another. They cared about the other and they felt a responsibility to meet the needs of others in the church and beyond. They gave to anyone as he or she had need. They were devoted to fellowship, but they were also devoted to prayer. We know that these folks had a tradition of prayer. Publicly, they came together daily, not weekly, not twice a week, but daily to pray. They prayed with each other and for each other three times a day. Real unity is achieved when people pray together. We've heard the saying, the family that prays together stays together. Well, these folks were committed. They understood that they could not meet the demands of life and their own strength alone, but they also knew they didn't have to. They had the privilege and power of prayer. 
As Christians, we are called to pray for one another, but we're also called to intercede for the needs of the world. You know that our world and its people are hurting from the ravages of this coronavirus, widespread sickness, loss of life, loss of jobs, loss of security. Many of the people in the world and in our communities don't know God. Many of them acted like they didn't need him until now. People are stressed out and overwhelmed by life. Many of them are living on the edge with no peace in their lives. Their lives reflect their desperation and hopelessness. They need to know Jesus. It's our privilege as Christians to pray for peace in our world and in the lives of people. We are to pray for God's will to be made on earth even as it is in heaven. We are to pray that his rule and reign will take place in the hearts of every individual. And we not only pray, but we share the love of Jesus with every person we come in contact with. We have the privilege and the power to do just that. When we pray, God hears and answers prayer. When we pray, God gets up close and personal. When we pray, God dispatches the angels and sometimes he comes himself to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And when God shows up, hallelujah, some of us know that he shows out. Hallelujah. God has given us the privilege of prayer, and we need to use it. These folks knew what it meant to be the church. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. They were joyful. They had exciting worship taking place all the time. There is an interesting statement in verse 43, which reads, Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs, miraculous signs were done by the apostle. Apostles, I used to think that everyone referred to the believers, but upon closer examination, I discovered that everyone referred to the people who were not a part of the fellowship. They were the people who looked on from the world and saw what was happening in this church. Because the people were saved and surrendered, devoted to the word, to the fellowship and prayer, because there was joyful and exciting worship happening, and miracles were commonplace, because the evidence and power of God was so pervasive and strong in this church, the world was attracted to them. Eastern Star, that has been your legacy. It is a part of your rich history. Don't stop now. Continue to be the, the church that God has called you to be, the perfect church. And the Lord will continue to add to your numbers daily, those who are being saved.